you have a question about your home, call Ken the Contractor. I've had my uh, drive paved, and uh, the, it seemed like it didn't bond, and I thought that you'd be the one to call and ask uh, what I should do about it now before I have it paved again. Ken Patterson is a Class A licensed contractor, and now Ken the Contractor brings his years of experience to the radio. But more often than not, when we see something not bonding, it's uh, an issue in the preparation. Either it was too cool when it was laid, or the preparation wasn't quite right for it to bond like it should. But what you're describing to me is something that I don't see very often, just having a driveway come up in large clumps. Do you have a question about your home inside or out? Call Ken the Contractor. Hi, everybody. I'm Jim Britt along with Ken Patterson and Ken the Contractor. And welcome to another hour of Ken the Contractor. Each weekend, Ken is here answering the questions that are important to you, today's homeowner. You can always join Ken, join Ken and reach him at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or you can email questions to our website. That's KenTheContractor.com. Now, many years ago, when we talked about outdoor projects around our house, we were typically referring to maybe cutting the grass if we were really energetic. That involved maybe some pruning of some shrubs or cutting some limbs back or maybe even doing a little bit of edging. Outdoor projects today mean something completely different throughout not only the construction industry but to the homeowners as well. We have now taken the indoor space and we've moved it outside and as we approach the season to be moving outside, we're going to talk a bit about some of the projects and really a process that you need to go through because we spend so much money these days on the exterior of our home, not structurally, not cosmetically, but areas that we can live in and areas that we can enjoy. And while in many ways handling and planning for an outdoor project is like an indoor project, there are some differences and some things that you need to be very aware of that can save you money in the long run. Outdoor projects today typically are going to involve everything from the basic landscaping that I just mentioned to hardscaping, retaining walls, decks, installing pergolas, trellis work. How about water features, waterfalls, lighting, sound systems, mulch, sod, seating, stonework, outdoor kitchens, play sets. We can go on and on with a list, and I've just touched on a number of those that a lot of you are saying, Yeah, I've got one, I've got two, or I'm planning three or four of those as we move on into this year. And in order to plan this and to spend your money wisely, I want to give you a few pointers. And you'll find these also at my website, KenTheContractor.com. First, I want you to determine how long you expect to live in the house. And you're saying, you know, why is that important? Well, it's real important if you're looking at a project that you're going to spend $3,000 on or one that you're going to spend $30,000 on or maybe a multiple of projects that brings you to that total of $30,000. If you're going to be in that house based on, let's say, the contract where you work or anticipating a job change or requirements by your family to move, For two years, three years, folks, I'm not really going to encourage you to sit here and spend a tremendous amount of money on multiple projects. You are going to receive some value for all of these projects when it comes time to sell the house, but you're not going to receive 100%. I talk about that and other things that you can do around your home that gives you the biggest return on investment from time to time. But this is not one you're going to receive 100% or 110%. It is a good investment. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But you need to consider doing these projects because you want to enjoy it. You're going to be there for a certain period of time. It makes you, your family happy. You entertain. These are certain areas that you can enjoy with your friends, relatives, and neighbors. So first determine how long you intend to be in that home. And if you're saying, I have no reason to move, I intend to be here as long as I possibly can, 
then maybe that changes your entire approach to this. And I want you to sit down once you've done that and develop what I would call a, um, I guess, a master plan with all the desired projects. So if you're saying, you know, we've got kids today, we need a play area over here, we'd like to have a, a water feature, we want one that's just a waterfall or we want to be able to put fish in it, we'd really like to level an area in our yard so that we can have a patio, that means some hardscaping, some retaining wall areas, I want you to put everything down on a list. Right now, don't consider dollars. Simply put that list together of what you'd like to see changing in and around the yard. And it doesn't have to be the backyard. It can be the side yard, the front yard. It can be features that you'd like to see, whether you're enjoying them from the backyard or just as you pull up to the house, something that enhances the exterior. But put your master list together. Break that down into what I call sub-projects, meaning the water feature is one, kids' play area is another, installing an irrigation system is another, and go on so that you have all of these identified but put them down in sub-categories. Once you've done that, because this is your dream list, doesn't mean you're going to do all of them, doesn't mean you have the budget to do all of them right now, but then I want you to establish a construction priority for each sub-project so that no project interferes or damages the prior one. You know, here's an example. If you're going to install an irrigation system, that needs to be done ahead of installing new sod or reseeding the entire yard. You don't want to put the sod down, come back and take ditch witch and tear the whole yard up just to put an irrigation system in. And that can hold true also with hardscaping, with landscaping, with all these other features that we've talked about, even fencing. So I want you to establish a priority of what must be done so that when I do the next one, I don't come back and damage or tear up or waste money having done something either a season before or just a few weeks before. Then I want you to determine a maximum budget for each. This is what I'm willing to spend. This is the outside. I'm going to put in a water feature. I'm willing to spend up to $3,000 for that. Not how little, but the maximum that you're willing to spend. The maximum I'm willing to spend to put in a retaining wall or to build that patio or to put up trellis or pergola. And the reason I want you to do a maximum is because I want you to see your worst-case scenario based on where you think there's real value. Because most of us find value in certain things, and I may find value in an item of being only $1,000 and no more, and you're saying, hey, it's worth five to me, and I'm meaning not that you're going to pay five for the same item, but that you're willing to enlarge it, to go to another level. When I'm looking very, very small water feature, and you want to have something that covers half the backyard. So I want you to place a maximum budget that you're willing to spend for each of those. And that's going to help do two things. One, it's going to tell you what your total dream investment may be, but it's also going to help you determine where the money comes from. Is it a current savings account? Or are you borrowing a home equity line of credit to do this and how much you want to spend for these? And it'll also help you determine how much you want to do each season. So that's extremely important. Then I want you to select the projects that you want to do first as long as they don't conflict with others. So, again, you may find I'm not putting an irrigation system in. Many of these are standalone projects. It's important to me to get my kids' play area done, and that involves building a retaining wall so I've got a level area for the swing set. If that's the case, then that should be priority one. You may also say we really do a lot of outdoor entertaining. We'd like to have a built-in grill, outdoor kitchen, if you will, some area off that patio. Project number two but your priority is still to take care of the children first and get that play area in place. So establish that construction priority for you. And then I want you to determine if some work or all work or any project you're going to do yourself and then place a value on your time. 
Because even though you may be capable, it may be more economical for you to hire a pro to get this done. So once you establish all of these priorities, then you're going to have some direction to go in. You're going to know what you can handle this year and those projects that maybe you need to put off for two, three years down the road. But you're not going to waste any money, and that's the key to everything I'm talking about. Don't put something in that you have to come back and tear out and deal with it a little later. I know you couldn't jot all these down, but you'll pick them up on the website, KenTheContractor.com. Coming up this hour, uh, about a half hour from now, our handy website of the week gives you the latest info on proper dryer ventilation, vent space saving products, and also how to increase energy efficiency. And also coming up in about 15 minutes, one-on-one, Ken will go with one-on-one with John Stevenson, the senior VP of marketing for PlyGem. That's coming up this hour on Ken the Contractor. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. This is Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. If you've got a question for Ken, you can always reach him at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. You can friend us on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow us on Twitter at Ken Answers. Let's go to the phone lines right now and let's take a call. And uh, this comes to us from Doug. He's in South Bend, Indiana and listens to our program on WTRC 95.3 FM, Michiana's news channel. Hi, Doug. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Go right ahead. Uh, I got a question for you. Okay. Uh, we bought a, a house, and they had tore out some uh, shrubs and construction waste, et cetera. They put out in the corner of the lot. We got a couple acres in the country, and they put it out there, and I need to get rid of it. And the power line runs through there. There's no transformer or anything above it. I've already checked with the fire department. They don't care uh, for our local but do you see a problem in being under the power line? Well, first, is this a substantial amount of debris, meaning it's uh, two, three, four pickup truck loads, more, less? Uh, at least. Sounds like you got enough it could make for a pretty big fire, even though the fire department may not be concerned with it. I certainly wouldn't be burning anything, even with their permission, immediately under a power line and adjacent to the pole. Now, you said it's next to the pole, correct? Well, it's probably 10 feet back, or at least. Most of the poles... That's where it starts. It's probably, I don't know, 15 feet in diameter and about, well, the brush makes it look high, but it's uh, it's like maybe six, seven feet tall. Does your city or county require a burn permit for trash? Because many localities do. No, I, no they, I've already checked on that one. Well, you know, I think if we're, ever, we're very rural here. Well, if all the, the, the local authorities have no objection, no permits required, then, and I've burnt my share of trash like most people have coming up over the years in different environments and so forth. You simply want to be safe with it. But if you've got multiple pickup truck loads essentially in one place, that has the potential of creating a substantial amount of heat well above that fire. And you may want to consider breaking that down into smaller areas and burn just a small amount at a time. Even on construction sites, when sites are being cleared, those are typically some of the guidelines we would work with on an open burn area, not to burn every everything at one time but smaller areas oh, sure sure and but i would still be a little concerned with the power lines overhead there is a substantial amount of heat that's generated by any open fire even say a pickup truck load it could mm-hmm. and you don't want to be held liable for damaging power lines or interrupting service and the public utilities in most states have the right to do that if we damage a fiber optic line a telephone line a gas right, line right. or power line so i think i would use more caution than not yeah, i'll just move it uh, I can get one of my neighbors with a tractor. Maybe we could push it down and uh, away from the power line, and then burn a little bit at a time. 
Yeah, if your locality says it's fine, then I'd proceed with that. But be sure you've got enough moisture in the air. It's it's not a, an extremely dry or windy day, and that you've got a clear area around it. Okay, hey, appreciate it. Well, good luck to you, and thanks for your call. We appreciate you listening to us. Okay, thanks, Ken. Doug, thank you. We do appreciate your call. Don't forget, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975, or you can email your questions to our website, KenTheContractor.com. we get a couple of emails. Roscoe comes to us from Virginia with a basement issue, and it's not an uncommon one, but in, I want to touch on this again for those of you that may not have caught us in some prior shows speaking about this. But he says that he's got a basement crawl space. It's got a gravel floor in it, so it's not a finished basement area. There's no concrete slab. One end's about eight feet tall. The other's about two feet. So if you could imagine this, I'm seeing this as a sloped floor where part of it could be a storage area and part of it more like a crawl space. has a stone foundation, does have plastic uh, stapled to the underside of the first floor, uh, he tells me. But he's got this tremendous smell, this musty odor, and mold and mildew that's forming down there. And this musty odor is permeating the house. Now, Roscoe, this is not an uncommon issue for you or for others to have. But the major thing that contributes to mold and mildew and this musty odor is moisture. Now, it takes several things, several ingredients for mold to develop. But the the first two are always moisture and then second, a food source. If you eliminate either one of those, you've eliminated the mold. And primarily, moisture is the biggest enemy that we have. When we deal with basements and we deal with crawl spaces, you're saying it just can be too difficult to cope with in terms of excavating the exterior of the home. It can be too costly to put in put uh, permanent waterproofing, foundation drains, especially when you're in an older home. And the fact that this has a stone foundation tells me that it is a substantially older house. The the best way you can resolve this, and experts that deal with mold and with foundation waterproofing, those that have spent years trying to perfect systems to make this go away, will tell you is air movement. And it's not just air movement, but it's also taking the moisture out of the space. You can circulate moisture all day long, and if there's so much moisture in that basement that it still clings to the walls, you haven't done any good. You're just moving moisture around. There are ventilation systems, and some are very inexpensive, that simply pull air in from the conditioned space of the house because generally that is uh, moisture-free compared to what you have in the basement. Pulls it through the basement, draws the air out of the basement, vents it to the outside, so you're constantly pulling a drier air in from your living space, running it through the basement, venting it to the exterior, and pulling that excess moisture that's in that basement out, reducing the mold, the mildew, and especially the musty odor that you have. Now, there are other ways to cope with this, but many of those are just a masking system. Whether you're looking at some type of uh, air purifiers, dehumidifiers do work to an extent if there's a very small amount of moisture, but most dehumidifiers cannot keep up with large quantities of moisture in our basement areas. So all you're doing is running your energy cost up when you turn one of those on and you let it run 24-7 and you still have the musty odor. So the bottom line is you need to get rid of the moisture, and if that's not practical, and it's not in a lot of our homes, some cases you just can't access it anymore where you can put waterproofing in, you need to have proper air movement through there that brings drier air in and exhaust that moist air from that basement, and it will gradually just pull the moisture out of those walls and dry it out. So that's the best solution I've got for you, Roscoe. I think we go to the next one here. We've got Georgia comes to us from Virginia, and I can tell that she has outdoor space on her mind. She said, what? She said we want to build a small deck this year, 
and we've been looking at different decking materials. In your opinion, is the new composite decking worth the added cost? And also, what exactly is the difference between composite decking and 100% vinyl decking? And is it important? Well, Georgia, it really is important. You're going to find that there, there can be considerable cost difference. But one of the things we've seen in the industry in recent years is decking material just runs from A to Z, almost literally in brand name products and the type of materials that are available. But briefly, let me tell you that we we tend to move away from the pressure treated decking these days. Composite decking used to be high end, but composite decking today is almost the base or entry level for materials. Composites are made of a blend of materials including wood fiber and plastic materials, and I said they've now become so common they're pretty affordable for just about everybody. What's called capstock decking is a hybrid between a composite decking and then a PVC decking, and that's a coating uh, over a composite decking with PVC materials, and that tends to be lower than outright PVC. And then another common deck material today is PVC, which is made of new plastic resin. It contains absolutely no wood. It's more mold-resistant and requires much less maintenance, even in terms of pressure washing. So those are some three very common materials you're going to find at your local big box stores and suppliers. And the bottom line for you is to look at how long you're going to be in the house, how much maintenance you want to put into it, and really, where's your budget these days? I also want to remind you, if you need a permit, you may check with your local building officials before you get into building this deck and your zoning officials to be sure you meet setback requirements. We've got to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more of your questions for Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. This is Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is a Class A licensed contractor who's built a whole bunch of stuff all up and down the eastern seaboard from private residential homes to industrial facilities. And Ken is here now with as many years of experience to help you deal with the issues that are important to today's homeowner. You can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Time now for this week's edition of One-on-One with Ken the Contractor. And each week, Ken brings you information about products and services from companies and experts he interviews during his travels, all to make your life better, provide options, and save money. Joining us now is John Stevenson. John is the Senior Vice President of Marketing with Plygym. John, welcome to today's show. We appreciate you joining us. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, Ken. Plygym is a name, at least in the building industry, I know is very familiar. I've purchased many products in homes and for office buildings over the years. But we have today four specific items that I know you want to talk about. Some of these are being revealed for the first time here. And we want to be sure that not only the builders know about it, but we want to be sure that the architects, the designers, and the consumer, the end user, know what's available in the market today. And one is called the Designed Exterior Studio, My Home. Tell me what My Home is all about. Well, I'll tell you, My Home is a new feature to the Design Exterior Studio, which is our visualizer that's available at plygym.com. And with the My Home feature, a homeowner can put their own home up on this tool and put new materials and colors and textures on their home in a virtual way and end up with a photorealistic look at what their home could look like. And a contractor could do the same thing for a project they're working on and then present it to the homeowner as well. Yeah, the technology that you have of being able to introduce the photo and really see their home in a different way, many of us have a hard time visualizing a new finished product or a finished project even. We see it the way we live in it if it's an existing home, and this really should turn the industry around for existing homeowners to say, I don't have to sell that house. I can have a complete new look, and this is what it'll look like before it's done. And that's where you're going with this. Yeah, that's exactly right. We really we want people to see what their home will look like before they invest the money in a remodel, for example, to see the whole home. And that's why we've used all of Plygen products, windows, siding, stone, as well as products we don't make, like roofing and the garage doors. Because, like you said, a homeowner needs to see the full package 
courage to make a good decision. And for those of you that haven't worked with this before, it's an outstanding tool. I've been to the site, I've looked at this, and you'll find it's user-friendly, it's easy for you to work with, and again, you're going to see the finished product before you have spent a dime. This is also going to help you as you're talking to your salespeople, your contractor, perhaps even your designer, and saying, this is what I want. And if they can bring that level of information to the people providing those services, they're going to save money also. So I think this is an outstanding tool. Also, cellular PVC, the trim and moldings. We're trying to get away all of us from as much maintenance as possible, and this is providing maintenance-free. Yeah, that's right. This is a new category for us. Like you said, we're actually introducing this at the show. Plygem's not been in the trim business in the past. So we're really excited about a product that adds new dimension and detail to the exteriors and the design exterior that we talked about a minute ago with a product that's low maintenance, wipes clean with soap and water, and installs just like wood without the hassles. And the characteristics in terms of appearance will look the same, but absolutely zero maintenance problems. And this is also another product that's designed coast to coast from Canada to Mexico. It doesn't matter where you are in the U.S. or our listing area. This works for every style, every type of home, and every climate. Absolutely correct. Yes, new product being distributed nationally, and it'll work in any market. All right, then let's move to the 1500 Collection. So the 1500 Collection is a new window system by Plygem that, for the first time, we've designed a window system that was really engineered and designed by the builder and the homeowner. So we went out to the to our audience, the homeowners and the, and the consumer market, and said, what would you want in a window? And this is what we came out with is our new 1500 Series window. And what are some of the features that they'll see with this new line since you're incorporating feedback from the consumer as well as the designers? Yeah, well, there's there's almost too many to name here, but one, for example, we have a, a new clip system with this that will allow a window that would, might take you and I both to install in most cases because you need somebody on the inside and the outside. This will allow a single person to install the window. But all the versatility that we've come to know from the, the Plygem windows are still there and the options. So it's a matter of going to the website, talking through the, your dealer, and determining what your specific needs are in terms of looks and style and so forth. Yeah, that's correct. It, it is a vinyl window and fits with uh, all the features and benefits you would expect with a with a high-quality vinyl window, along with, some again, some of these things that we incorporated in the best practices that we heard from the builder and from the consumer. And vinyl windows today, and I know your product is on the cutting edge of this, is no longer the vinyl window that some people might remember when they first hit the market years ago. I mean, they were viewed as a very low-end product. It was simply filling a hole in the wall. Today, we see these. I've installed these in some very high-end homes. These outperform and outpace many of the older traditional-style windows. Yeah, that's true. Vinyl windows have come a long way. Uh, we see them routinely used in million-dollar-plus homes. People purchase vinyl windows for the low-maintenance aspect, and because, quite frankly, they are the most energy-efficient and weather-tight window you can buy of any material. And we're all about energy efficiency. We know that. Both air and water infiltration is important to us, and the heat exchange that we get through certain types of windows and the framing system that's there, we just don't see with the vinyl. Now, the column collection that you have is also something else that you want to talk to us about, and I find that rather unique. Oh, this is my favorite one. I, I shouldn't play favorites, but this is my favorite. Through Croy Building Products and Plygem Stone, both Plygem brands, we're introducing a new column system that if you, if you imagine a typical stonemason creating a, a column around a fire, or around a, a mailbox or a, a structure like that in that column form, you've got to create it, you've got to box it out, you've got mortar, and you've got a lot of labor. Yeah, there are multiple steps, a lot of labor and a lot of cost involved in just a typical, it could be a fence column, but something exactly. that's very small by normal standards. So what we've done is created a, call it a modular system of 
stack stone with a with kind of a foam insert. And basically what you're able to do is install a normal fence post like you would before you put a vinyl fence up or any fence or mailbox or a lamp post or light post and literally set these over them in six inch increments and you're done. Put a cap on it and you're done. It's that simple. It's uh, and it, they look beautiful. And again, they're real stone. This isn't stone veneer, but these these are not some rubberized, plasticized type columns that we've seen in the market. These are the real deal. All we've done is taken that labor and we put the labor in it so that you have a quick install out in the field. It's a pre-manufactured, authentic product that makes it easy not only for the builder. If it's easy, it saves money. It's because it's saving time. It also offers durability. But it sounds like this is one that for those of you that are a little interested in doing some work around your house. And some of you are, some of you aren't. But this is a product that you might want to take on and do yourself. Absolutely. It's beautiful. Well, I can tell that just by the tone in your voice and that you said this is one of your favorites. We've been speaking with John Stevenson, Senior Vice President of Marketing with Plygym. John, we certainly appreciate you being with us today. Thank you, Ken. Glad to be here. And again, you can get more information by going to Plygym's website. Plygym.com, and I'll tell you, you'll find all kinds of information. They manufacture more products than you can imagine. We just had an opportunity to speak with John about three or four of those, actually uh, just a few, including this new website they have where you can insert photographs of your house and see all the changes that you'd like to make long before it's finished. The technology that's available to so many of our manufacturers today that they make available to us as contractors and as consumers is absolutely phenomenal. Folks, we have tools today that will help us make our mind up before we see a product even close to our house, and I think you need to take advantage of it. You'll find many links on my website, KenTheContractor.com, that takes you to so many of these other places to find that level of information. And I really encourage you to use it. If you happen to be in a retail store and you're talking to the salesperson about it. Ask them what they have available before you sit down and buy all of these products or you make decisions on cabinets, on countertops, on windows, even on some of the synthetic stone materials or the natural stone materials that John was just talking about. Avail yourself of this technology and you'll find that you're a whole lot happier with your finished product. Well, and it's going to be very rare that you're not going to find a major manufacturer in particular that does not have this interactive element in their website because they want you to be able to do exactly that, and that is plug different things in because they think that will help sell you eventually on the product and get you to buy it from them. We've got to take a break. We'll continue with more. If you have a question for Ken, our number, 800-614-2975. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor, and he's here answering the questions that are important to today's homeowner. And if you've got a question about your home inside or out, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or you can email us questions to the website, KenTheContractor.com. And this email comes to us from Samuel in Ortonville, Minnesota. It's a- I only caught some of your comments one morning on KDIO about a new metal roof over a roof or ceiling rafter and getting extra insulation installed. said, I need to replace my roof this year, and this interests me. Can you discuss this again? Well, first off, Sammy, we appreciate you listening to us on KDIO. And I I was talking to them on a – it happened to be a morning segment. I was doing an interview with the show host. At that time, and one of them raised the question, said he was in the process of uh, putting a metal roof on his home. He had vaulted ceilings, which means that the the truss or the framing member that his current roof is attached to is insulated. And on the bottom side, he has drywall on the interior. Unlike a traditional truss where there is a cavity, an opportunity to get a lot of insulation in place, 
when you're dealing with, say, a 2 by 10 or a 2 by 12 you only have the depth of that framing cavity to install insulation. And typically in a 2 by 12 you may be looking at an R value of 38 for the insulation that you can put in. And what we know today is that as we continue to increase the R value in our walls and our roofs, we increase the energy efficiency of our home. And that means, obviously, less electricity to use, less fuel oil, less other items that is necessary to heat our house, and it keeps us comfortable longer for fewer dollars. So what I was talking to them about was roofing over and how you can install a metal roof and install additional insulation. And if you're interested in this, and for those of you that say this sounds like something I might want to consider, if you're already thinking about a metal roof, first you want to install furring strips. Now, that may be two-by-twos. It could be two-by-fours. Your local building officials or architect may have something to say about it based on your wind zone, uh, where you happen to live in terms of snow loads. You always want to check with them, but I'm giving you the concept. And the concept is simply to install furring strips of sufficient thickness that you could install a high highly dense, rigid insulation board between those furring strips before you install either sheathing if it's required by your particular roof system or install the standing seam metal roof panels directly to those furring strips. Now, for example, if you install simply a two-inch furring strip, you can use a product uh, that Dow makes called Thermax. Other manufacturers produce something similar that is a rigid insulation board. That two-inch board has an R value of 13. That says you could take an R38 uh, cavity, and you could bring that up to an R51, which is very substantial. That's a, probably about a 30% or better increase in insulation value, which will relate to a savings on your operating cost. Now, this isn't something I recommend for any normal homeowner unless you have some construction skills and the proper safety harnesses and devices to be tied off working on that roof. I think this is a job for a pro or at least for you to team up with a pro and be doing this safely. But that's what I was discussing on KDIO, and I appreciate you asking us about it, and I hope if that's of interest to you that you'll pursue this a little further with your local suppliers and perhaps with your local contractors. And if you're going to bid this out and go to a pro, be sure you get at least three bids from qualified folks and you set your own spec so that you're bidding the same thing across the board to all people and that you make a good comparison, you make a good buy, and then check on references from each of those contractors. Good luck to you, Samuel. All right, uh, what do we got for our handy website of the week? You know, this is a site that's really directed to one product, but it's directed to probably most of America because the majority of us have dryers somewhere in our home. And one thing we never think about is that vent on the back side of the dryer, that pipe or tube, some of you call, that goes from the dryer to the exterior discharge. You shove the dryer back against the wall. Then we wonder why in another place maybe it took 30 minutes to dry a load. Now it's taking an hour. And that's probably because that dryer hose is actually crimped. And the more bins you put in it, the less effective your dryer is. Regardless of whether it's gas or whether it's electric, the more bins you have in that hose on the backside or even in the discharge system. If you discharge direct through the wall, that is probably the most ideal you can have because you have very few bins and you only have the short hose coming from the dryer out. But there is a company that manufactures what's called dryer box. And dryer box is just what it sounds like. It's a box that recesses in the wall that allows you to connect the dryer to the vent line without that sharp turn that going that goes up or down in the wall. Again, if you vent directly to the outside, 
That's not bad at all. That's the best thing you can do. But I want you to look at this site because you'll not only find that the dryer vent can save space, it can eliminate a lot of the crimping you have on the backside. It's user-friendly. It's easy to install. And that's dryerbox.com, D-R-Y-E-R-B-O-X.com. You'll find the link on my website, kenthecontractor.com, as well. You'll find a few other accessories, including lint detectors, which can help eliminate fires. A lot of things that will be important to you. Dryerbox.com. Let's try to sneak in a quick call here with Rob. He's got a question about metal roofing that you were just talking about. Rob, go right ahead with your question for Ken. My question is this. Down in Texas, which is a little different than here, of course, but I have a house down there that has a vaulted ceiling in it. It's got four by eight, um, what do you call it, laminated structural beams in it. Okay. And, uh, so you got LV- got- yeah, they're LVLs. Yeah. Okay. It's got uh, two by six tongue and groove. I guess. Yeah, that'd be your decking material. You're looking at that. That forms your deck, and you're seeing that on the bottom side. That's your finish? That's the finish, right. Okay. Uh, And on top of that, they only put uh, a half-inch Celotex, and then they put a tin roof right over top of it. So down there, it's a pretty big heat sink. Yeah, yeah. And and I'm just curious what the best is. Would it be better to insulate that thing from the inside or take that roof off and, and... do something from the outside. I'm not sure how to right, you, you, rectify that problem. You really have two options, and one, the first one I'd say depends on how you want to see the finish on the inside. The fact that you have a tongue and groove deck that was put in as an architectural feature over those LVL beams that you're looking at up there, if that doesn't bother you to cover that up, you can insulate that cavity and then come back with drywall or some other, even a wood product on the bottom. You could go back with a one-by tongue and groove on the bottom and have a similar look. Uh, that's going to cost a decent amount of money to do that, but you're going to save on your operating costs, and you're going to be a lot more comfortable, especially in the season that you're trying to fire up the air conditioning units, which is most of the time, I think, in Texas. But if you want to preserve that look, you really like those LVL beams and you like the, the tongue and groove showing from the top side, then I think you're right on track if the, the roof especially is screwed down. Now, if it's nailed down, this is going to be more difficult to salvage. But if the roof is screwed down, those panels can be removed, and I would look at adding a furring strip or going right over the uh, the therm- or the sheeting that you have in place, the insulation board, and increase that. But, frankly, for the, the increased volume, I would probably be looking at adding a furring strip over that where I could move beyond even an R13 and maybe get up into the R20 range, R21, something along those lines with what you have. Okay, very good. Yeah, this uh, beam, by the way, are uh, four feet on center. So, And that would be typical of an LVL, which is a structural lumber. It's a manufactured beam as opposed to standard uh, milled lumber. Right. But those would give okay. you two options. Both are going to cost you a little money, but it's going to help you on the long in the long run. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. Okay. All right, I appreciate your help. Thank you, for the, thank you for the call. Thanks, Rob. We appreciate it. Don't forget, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. You can email your questions to our website, which is kenthecontractor.com. And you can also follow us on Twitter at Ken Answers and friend us on Facebook at Ken the Contractor. That'll wrap up this hour of Ken the Contractor, the program that provides professional answers. Don't forget, if you've got a question, Ken's here every weekend answering your questions. You're listening to Ken the Contractor.